Um, Brenda and I have uh, been in Texas. Um, we were in Austin, Texas for a North American Division pastors meeting. Um, it was a tremendous blessing. It was a blessing to be present with a bunch of people we know and love and some we haven't seen in a long time. Um, it was a blessing to be in a, an environment supportive to pastoral ministry and uplifting to the call that we are given. It, has been, it was a tremendous blessing to be um, a, a part of helping other pastors find their way around. One of my responsibilities was actually as, as ministerial directors in the uh, division were in charge of helping keep that thing going. Um, we were uh, involved in shuttling people around and making sure folks got to where they were supposed to go. That was also a blessing. Um, I was also, I think, a great blessing um, to be a part of something that's been dream- dreamed, dreamt of for a long time. Dave, I think you guys talked about that when you were NAD ministerial director. So is that 15 years? That it's been a long time coming. And finally to be able to, to call the pastors from North America together to, to be supportive and caring and loving of one another, to, to have an opportunity there for pastors' children's, pastors' children, pastors' spouses, to also be blessed and loved and cared for. It was, a, it was really wonderful. We spent a couple of days um, at the GC session um, in San Antonio after that, uh, primarily just to see the river walk and to be able to do some of that sort of thing um, in San Antonio itself. And then we flew home. We were home last weekend. Um, got after church. We didn't skip you all. <laughs> um, uh, we, got, we got home Saturday night. But um, we're, uh, we've been home this week, and it's been very, very good to be home. One of the things we did this week was ha- we had our lay pastors meeting. I don't know how many of you are aware of how the structure of our church works, but um, we have <clears throat> lay pastors over the elements of church, wor- church life, worship, Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. And we have meetings with those lay pastors monthly. And this, uh, this week we had our meeting. And during our meeting, Kim Bogus, who is our lay pastor in charge of children's discipleship, um, shared with us her experience from Vacation Bible School. And I'm going to ask you to come forward, Kim. I just wanted, to, I wanted you to hear a little bit of what she told us. Um, just, uh, just so that you'll, you'll need to grab that mic just so that you'll get to, to share in the joy that we had that evening, uh, Tuesday evening. So, Kim, uh, as you were talking about, uh, about your experience vacation with Vacation Bible School, you said it was faith building. And you specifically talked about a, a call with your mom about six weeks before Vacation Bible School. Would you share with the, the church about that? Yeah, I was telling several folks here, but um, my mom is you know, my biggest fan and my confidant. Moms are supposed to be your biggest fans. And so I was chatting with her about six weeks before VBS was going to begin. And I told her, Mom, I do not have enough staff to go forward. I'm just going to get up in front of the church and cry. Cry that we have no staff. So there will be no VBS this year because we can't uh, staff it. And you can't, I mean, you can't have a lot of kids without staff, right? So my mom says, why are you all stressed out about this? This really isn't your program. You need to give it over to the Lord and let it be his program and stop worrying about it. And at the point that she said that, I said, yeah, thanks, Mom. (laughs) Great advice. Uh, Someone's got to pull the weight, right? So, but after we got off the phone, I was just contemplating what she had said. And I thought, I'm not really in this for me. I'm in it for the Lord. So... I'm going to do that. I'm going to turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, it's your program. I'm going to do the level best I can to make people aware what the needs are and how we can move forward, but it's your program. So if you want it to be, it's up to you, Lord. It's not up to me. Okay, so that was like the biggest stress reliever rolling off of my shoulders. I don't know several of you who... People, after I did that, people seemed to appear out of the woodwork. (laughs) It was amazing. I was just like, 
At the very moment, I'd be thinking, okay, if I don't get that person by this point in time, someone would walk up to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing that job. And I was like, okay, hey, we're in. Where do we sign? I'm telling you, it was, it was amazing to watch the Lord at work by just turning it over to him and sort of saying, Lord, it's yours, so you're responsible. I'm putting my time in. You need to put your spirit in. Yeah. We're looking for a little backup here, Lord. <laughs> exactly. Um, you also told, me, told us about some of your younger uh, volunteers. We had the most amazing youth crew out here this year. You just can't believe it. And I have to tell you that even for someone who we haven't always done all of the youth involvement before, but and, and so it makes you a little scared kind of jumping into that pie. But I'm telling you, when they show when they showed up to do work, they'd be like, what do you want done? And I'd say, oh, I'm thinking we're decorating this hallway like a big glacier. Here's all the supplies. Do what you want to do. An hour and a half later, it's done. And I'm not over there telling them yeah, what to do. That. That's They're it, that's just it. pushing it out. And the whole time they'd be coming up to me saying, hey, we think it would look cool if we did blah, 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 blah. Is that okay? Are you going to ruin the carpet? Hmm. Are you going to ruin the wall? <laughs> go for it. And Are so, you going to drill below the water line? <laughs> Other than that, go right ahead. So, I mean, they, it, was, it was even more, you know, they were more energetic and had more ideas about how to bring it together. The majority of the decor was performed by the youth crew. And then in the sessions themselves, you can't believe how the youth stepped up to sessions. Um, folks, um, Ernest Zugalev was involved with me in doing the, the drama. I did a great job. And I've never done that before with any of the youth. You know, we do drama at times, but we haven't, and we haven't necessarily made it a youth thing although we've had youth in the middle of it. And I was a little worried because these were long, scripted parts. And so you don't know what you're going to get. Okay, the first day we practiced, I was like, Kim, you're going to have to step it up a notch. This guy's like, Because Ernest is on his game. Exactly. It was amazing and so relieving because I was just thinking, okay, God, I guess you do have it covered. Sorry. You told us about going on an errand, which you thought was God's errand, and when he had another one for you to do, you had driven off and you had only half an hour to go. Yeah, in the crunch zone, you know, you're thinking, right, this is the week, right, uh, Friday, right before the um, VBS starts on Monday, and I had had someone ask me to be part of the leaders for the music, and I had not been able to get them a music tape to be able to practice the songs and know what was going on. So I tried to call them, and it went to voicemail, and it said there's no more room on their voicemail. So then I looked up their address in the, in the directory, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to drive and drop this off. I have a few minutes here, so I drive over to their house. It's about 15 minutes away. I get to their house, their, uh, the house listed in the directory. has a for sale sign in front of it. I walk up to the stairwell. There's no furniture in the house anywhere that I can see. So unless they're sleeping in the thank garage, goodness, they've left. That's huh? right. Yeah, thank goodness the directory is being updated. But at any rate, really disappointing because this is the Friday before I'm starting on Monday. And I'm like, I really don't have 30 minutes. And I kind of got in my car going, okay, God, you could have clued me in here. Like at least someone could have said, hey, yeah, Kim, you need to know, blah, 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 because I had told people that I was going there. You know, this is 30 minutes of my wasted time trying to prep for this program. I don't have that kind of time to waste today. And so as I'm getting back in my car, driving to my next location, I'm kind of stewing about it. The phone rings in my car, and the person on the phone says... And you answered hands-free. I answered hands-free because it's the law. Just want to make sure that was what yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if you ever call me, you may know that I leave my cell phone around about, so you may not always get me when you call me. <laughs> So um, I pick up the phone, and the person on the phone goes, Hey, Kim, this is one of the youth that volunteered for us. I'm thinking that I need to be one of the crew leaders, and my brother wants to co-lead. And I'm like, for the whole week? Like, you know, crew leading is really best done when you commit to the whole week because you have to establish a relationship with kids over the first couple days that is fulfilled in the later parts of the week. Yeah, we'll be there the whole week. And this is the Friday before it starts. Friday before it starts. 
And I'm like, awesome, that is exactly where I had the most need. I was really worried that we were going to have enough crew leads to be able to staff our normal volume of kits. So when I got off the phone, I was kind of like, okay, I give up. It's in your hands. I'll quit worrying. I'll quit complaining. It's yours. So did it encourage your faith to be VBS leaders? I'm telling you, it, it was a walk of faith that was fulfilled in every way by leaving it with the Lord. That was really the full start of it. And that faith walk, you know, guys know I talked to you a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago, is, is really going on and on. It's going on and on. It, where it starts, you just keep building on it. And that was such a faith builder to me. Every single one of you folks who volunteered for BBS, you were an answer to prayer. Amen. God was using you. So thank you so much. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for all the work that was done, but especially for Kim's leadership. Thank you that you spoke through her mother to her at an appropriate time to help her be relieved of some of that pressure. And thank you that you stood by her side through the process. We pray for all those kids who were touched in VBS, whether they were involved in leadership or whether they were attending. We pray for all of us who were able to be present and heard the music and watch the smiles, that those things won't dim, but will remain bright in our minds and hearts. And we ask, Lord, for you to continue to bless in Kim's walk and the growing of her faith and in each present. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And if you want to hear a bunch more. I got it. So the lesson is, if you want to see your faith grow, volunteer to lead VBS. <laughs> or just lead a big project for church. Um, it is true, God does not allow that his, for his people to walk alone. You never are going to be alone when you follow after God. Today we are going to continue talking a little bit about the kingdom. I understand that the pulpit was handled very ably by Kim and Mark while I was gone. Um, having Mark preach on 4th of July was a, a, a uh, direct guidance from God. The British were able to be represented. They do have 4th of July in Britain. They just don't know what to do with it. But um, I'm very thankful to both of you for leading out in worship for the last couple of weeks. Um, as we get uh, into the series that we've been at for a while now, looking at uh, the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew, I want to remind you that we talked about this in the, in the very beginning, that the kingdom of heaven is stated about, that the, this phrase is stated about uh, 30 times, a little more than 30 times, in the book of Matthew. He uses this phrase, no one else uses it. He restates it over and over again, and I told you I believe it is because as Matthew is writing his book, there's a rise of the zealots in Israel. There's a rising uh, uh, drive among the Jewish people in Israel for an, uh, to, ta- to uh, attempt to overthrow the Romans. It had only been a couple hundred years since they had thrown the Greeks off, and they thought, you know, we've done it with the Greeks, we can do it with the Romans. And they were rising up to, to rebel against the Romans. And he starts to state in his book, directed tr- primarily at the Jewish people, the kingdom of heaven isn't like that, the kingdom of heaven isn't like that, the kingdom of heaven isn't like that. And so as we've talked a little bit about it, we've seen it in several parables. I want to get to a parable today, but I want to I set some context with it. So I'm going to try to take you mostly through the book of, uh, book of Matthew chapter 21 today. As you know, that's going to be a bit of a race. Um, and as you also know, I have a tendency to chase the rabbits that appear on the trail. So we'll try to get it done. We'll try to do it well. Um, but if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, that's where we're going to be today. The text will largely be on the screen, but we will be skipping a few. Um, in this text, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 is quoted. The older king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey. And that's kind of where we start. Je- Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Understand something about the picture that's being presented here. A returning king from vic- in victory, a king who's coming to show his dominance, rides in on a horse, rides in on, on a stallion if he can manage it. Because that's that demonstration of authority and power. And that's what Judaism was expecting from Jesus. They were expecting Jesus to come rolling in like a conquering king on a stallion to tell the world what was going on and, how to, and just straighten things out. Instead... He comes in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, riding on a donkey. When the king comes riding in on a donkey, things are peaceful. Things are cool. Everything's okay. He's not coming to conquer. He's coming at peace. He's coming to be a leader of a peace movement. So Jesus came rolling in on the donkey. He had a tie-dye shirt, a bandana around his head, and he was going like this. You have to be a certain age to know what that means. And I know which one of you laughed. Back to, back to chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Now, when the, they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Matthew has these two, thing, these two animals coming. Other, other of the gospel writers just talk about the one. But apparently bring, we bring mom and the baby along. Um, there's, there's pictures. I, I saw a picture of an internet, on the internet of a guy saying, You see, you can't believe in Jesus. According to this, he's riding two animals at one time. Really? Really? The, the reality is he's riding only one of these. All right? Pick which one you'd like. But he's coming on the donkey, and that's the clear picture. That's what you need to understand about it. What's really significant here is the animal that he's riding. All this was done, according to Matthew, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, coming to demonstrate that he is king, but that he is a peaceful king. Do you remember when Jesus rides in on a horse? It's in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is seen as riding in on a horse. And as he rides in on that horse, he is conquering. He's ending sin. He's clearing things up. He's changing things. Things will now be seized by him. He will now be the authority in place. He will take control of things from here out. However, when he arrives in Jerusalem, he comes in as a peaceful king. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. A couple of things to pick up. Jesus comes and he's coming at the Passover season. On the Passover season, the roads are filled with people. There are tons of people around. And as Jesus is coming in from Galilee, there are lots of other people who would be coming in along and get to know that he's on his way and see him. And there would be sort of people gathering. And as Jesus arrives... At Bethpage, he's just a mile or two from the center of Jerusalem. He stops and he sends his disciples on an errand. Words of this are going to spread a little bit. Why did he stop? I heard that he said, he said, James and John. Anyway, who did he say? Peter and John. Into the village to get, to get a donkey. People are like, well, you want to get a donkey? You know what that means, right? Zechariah said that the, 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 the Messiah would come in on a donkey. That, that He's going to be demonstrating that he's, he's the Messiah. And that would start to build more interest. And more people would begin to gather. And so you probably have a fairly large crowd. The Bible, Matthew calls it a great multitude of people gathered round now. They have Lazarus in this crew. Lazarus has been raised from the dead just shortly before that. He has his own groupies. You know, people are going to want to meet with a guy, see a guy who has been raised from the dead, wouldn't you? What would be your first question? What was that like? Right? Because I want to know what both of those are like. What was it like when you went out? And what was it like when the lights came back on? Right? For the rest of his life, I bet, bet he was answering that question. I wish Lazarus would have written a book in the Gospels. Here's what this was like. This is one of the fun things about heaven to me. You're going to get to get to heaven and say to Lazarus, so what was it like when the lights went out and what was it like when they came back on? Tell us the story. How would that go? You know, you're going to get to find out all those things you have questions about. And if you're as curious as I am, I have questions for most of the people I read about in the Bible. You're going along and there are gaps. And I'm like, I'd really like you to fill in right there. When, when Revelation says, to, when, when uh, the, the, John the Revelator sees this amazing thing, hears this thundering, the voices in the thundering, and God says, don't write that down. 
What was that? You want to get a guy's attention like me? Tell me you've got a secret and then don't tell me the secret. Lazarus is also in this group. So he's also a person who gathers a crowd. People are going to follow Lazarus. So as Lazarus is part of this leading of the donkey in, Jesus' crowd is kind of swollen with both those who are following Jesus and those who just want to kind of see what's going to happen with Lazarus next. They begin to come in and the Bible says they put their coats down and they cut branches. You'd have to go back and, and you'd have to read the books of the Maccabees. But when the Maccabean kings had finally thrown the Greeks out of Israel, they led them in waving palm branches as a sign of victory, as a sign of their new king's arrival. It was common in the culture, even Greeks and Romans did this occasionally, when a king or a dignitary would arrive, they would wave palm branches in the air. This was a demonstration that they knew what was going on. They knew that Jesus was declaring his lordship. He was declaring himself the Messiah. He was declaring himself the king of Israel. And if you follow through the record from here to the crucifixion, that theme gets repeated over and over again. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king. Aren't you paying any attention? He's the king. He is fulfilling this specific prophecy in a specific way to make his point. I am the king of Israel. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So he's coming down. <clears throat> now, in my mind's eye, I have pictured this as, oh, you know, 50, 60, 100 people. When you see the paintings of Jesus walk, coming in on the donkey, you look at the crowd. It's not that big a crowd. It's, you know, it's 50, 60 people. But the Bible keeps saying it's a multitude, it's a big crowd, it's a huge number of people. And if you remember that at Passover, thousands of people are gathering for the Passover service. Imagine not just a few hundred or, or, or even a thousand. Imagine if five or six or ten thousand people start saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And they're saying it from the top of a hill coming into Jerusalem. And it's echoing across the city and into the canyon. And as they come down the hill, they're not being quiet. As they enter the city, they're not being quiet. This goes on through the entire parade. As Jesus comes in, this is the background sound. This is the noise. This is what's being said. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Over and over and over they're repeating their understanding and their belief that this is the Messiah, the son of David, the one who would be king of Israel. So you're getting the setting. Are you starting to get the feel, the flavor of this picture of, the, of this day? When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was what? Moved, saying, who is this? It worked. He got the intention of the entire city. Do you remember... <clears throat> When Jesus needed to really get the attention of the Israelites, they were out in the desert. If we have the right place, they're on a, a flat plain surrounded by mountains. One of those mountains in particular, <clears throat> Moses is trekking up and down. And when God is really trying to get their attention, he lights the mountain on fire. He begins to shake the earth and thunder begins to peal in the sky. Have you ever had thunder peal above your head? When we lived in Michigan, we, you know, we were from California. We had heard thunder, but it was coming and going. It was never really on us. In Michigan, it would very regularly roll over our house, and just to accentuate things for the day, boom, right over your house. The windows rattle, your body rattles, you're scared. Even if you know it's coming, you almost always jump. Now... For three million Israelites approximately gathered down there on the plain, God shakes the, the earth. Are you guys listening yet? He lights the mountain on top. Smoke starts billowing out and he starts to thunder around them. Why? Because he's trying to get them to listen. I love the fact that disciples go up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James and John, they're up on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. 
All of this wild stuff starts to happen. They get all excited about the, the arrival of Elijah and the arrival of Moses. This cloud descends on top of them. And now that God has their attention, you know what he says? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It could be on your wall. You know, this could be something you write on your mirror in the morning. This is my beloved son. Quote, underline bold. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus has ridden in on this donkey with this crowd shouting so that he can get the attention of the people of Jerusalem. The things that are happening the next few days they need to be paying attention to. Do you remember after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus meets a couple of the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Do you remember that story? He's walking along the road, and as they're walking along, they're downtrodden. Their faces are low, and, he, and they're kind of sad. And he says, what are you guys sad about? And they say, have you not heard? Are you the only person who has not heard what took place in Jerusalem? It worked. He wanted the city of Jerusalem to know the Messiah had arrived. And that he was coming in on a donkey as a king at peace. And he wanted them to be asking this question. Who is this? Who was that masked man? So the multitude said the multitudes and Jesus said the multitudes, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The group that was gathered around, maybe in my mind, five to 10,000 people, as they find their way into the city, you know, a big crowd has to kind of squeeze like, like some sort of a, of, a, of a dinner inside a snake to get through a, a small gateway. And they squeeze through, and as people start to ask the question, they start to respond, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. I want you to look at, we've changed to Mark. We've changed to Mark for a reason, because of that first four words. Mark says, now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing, uh, seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see. And okay, he's going to curse this fig. It's not going to birth. And we're not going to talk about it because there's a lot to be said about the fig. But they came to Jerusalem the next day, and Jesus went into the temple. So what day is it? The next, the next day. It's not the same day. Because in Matthew it reads like, came in with this big crowd, all the shouting was going on, and went into the temple. Mark is telling us, no, he came in, big crowd, all this sound, all this stuff going on. He left, went back to Bethany, came back the next day. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold at the temple. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is a decision made by Jesus very specifically, very directly. He is again trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point about his authority, about who he is, about what he's able to do. He goes into the temple the next day. The reason I want you to know it's the next day is because you could think, well, he got caught up in the fervor of the crowd. Nope. He went home, slept on it, came back with this specific thing in mind. This was not some emotional, oh my, I shouldn't have done that. This is Jesus determining to do something very specific. He comes in and he overthrows the tables of the money changers. <coughs> and he begins to chase them out. One of the, one of the uh, gospel writers says, and they run off. They run out. They flee out through the gates. And they leave the temple kind of empty and kind of quiet. And this man standing in the middle, this man Jesus who has this cord in his hand and this coins laying on the floor and doves fluttering for a place to land. And into that scene, put yourself. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. On the outside of the temple, all around by the entrances are these stone monuments. The one I saw was about that big. So from the, from the stage probably four feet tall. Engraved on the side of this stone monument is a, is, is a message 
to any Gentile who would come into the temple, into the, to the temple courts uninvited and without conversion or something, to the lame and to the blind, to those who would, dis, would, would, would cause the place to be humbled by their humble presence, that they were not to come in. And now he runs out the money changers and he disrupts all this stuff that's going on. And who comes in? The blind and the lame. And he healed them. Here is the king of the universe standing on top of the mountain dedicated to him and the temple that's dedicated to him. And the children who have not been allowed to be let in come in. And there they meet him. And his grace impacts their need. And in his mercy and his power and his strength, he transforms their lives. And the blind begin to see. And the lame begin to walk. And the healed begin to celebrate. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. Now I want you to catch that sentence. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. So when they saw what he did, what, how, did how does Matthew describe them? They're wonderful things. They see wonderful things that Jesus did. And the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. May we never be so sure of ourselves that when the miraculous hand of God touches someone in our midst, we put our hands in our pockets, we stiffen ourselves, and we become indignant. Wow. You got a lot of confidence in your answers to do that. You're feeling awfully sure that you're right and they're wrong. They become indignant. Jesus is healing the lame and the blind. The children are shouting Hosanna and they're indignant. You need to know a little bit about this English transliteration Hosanna. The Hebrew, Yashina. Deliver or save. And the last part is, I beg you or I beseech you. It's a please. So it's being shouted as Jesus comes down the hill. Please save us, son of David. What's being shouted by the children in the temple? Please save us. Please save. Please save. You know, by the, by the time we've read this a thousand times, it's just like, praise God, or hello, or glory. It's a, it's a word that we just shout out. It just comes out. But if you trace its roots and you trace its origins, it's a pretty powerful word. When the, when the Greeks start to use the word and the, it moves on through history, it truly just becomes sort of glory. In fact, when Luke would translate this uh, a decade or so later, he will translate it instead of transliterating it. The other Bible writers transliterate it. They take the Hebrew word and try to make it into a Greek word, which then gets, try, get, tries to be made into an English word. But when, the, when, the, when Luke tries to do, to do it instead of transliterating it, he tries to translate it, and he just translates it glory. Because it got used as a... Joyful raising of the hands, what a great thing. Now imagine if in church, when you were really excited about God, and you wanted to shout something out, and you just wanted to, you just wanted to praise God, you wanted to, to just shout out your, your, your feelings of grace and encouragement and the overwhelming uh, presence of God in your life, if you threw up your hands and you said, please save! Wow, that'd be an interesting church to be a part of, wouldn't it? That's what they're saying. Please save. Please save. Please save, son of David. Please save in the highest. Please save, son of David. Please save. I recognize that you are the Messiah, the King of the universe. I recognize that you have authority in the kingdom and authority in my life. Please save me. It's a confession of faith. They were indignant. 
because Jesus was healing the lame and the blind who weren't supposed to be there. They were indignant because Jesus had kicked over the tables of the guys who were funding so much of their life. They were indignant because the little children had taken up the call of the people from the day before and were shouting, please save. Please save. They said to him, do you hear what they're saying? (laughs) And Jesus said to them, yeah. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. You get it now? You get what's going on? The people who aren't supposed to be in the temple are in the temple, defiling it by their very presence, and Jesus is healing them. And now you've got blind guys running around seeing, and, and you've got lame people leaping and laughing and having a great time here in the temple. And this stuff is not supposed to go on here. They're supposed to behave themselves. This is not a reverent atmosphere. And listen to these kids. The kids are saying, David, son of David, please save. Can you shut up those little kids, and can you make those lame people stop dancing? And Jesus says, uh, no. Can't do it, not going to do it. Haven't you heard, haven't you read that out of the babes, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you have perfected praise? There's, There's no subjectivity in this. They're not doing this so anybody will watch them. They're not doing this so that anybody will notice. They're not doing this for any reason other than This is what their hearts are saying. The next day, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him. They had a meeting, apparently. They called the board. And they said, we're not going to let this happen again. So when he walks in tomorrow, we're going to meet him at the gate. He's not turning tables over. He's not bringing blind people into my temple. We're not having that happen again. I'm meeting him at the gate when he comes. And so some squadron is sent out to to confront Jesus at the gate. When he comes into the temple, the priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching, saying, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In other words, we didn't give you the authority. I'm going to step on somebody's toes. We didn't ordain you. By what authority are you doing this? Who told you you could come into our house and start healing people? Who told you you could come into our house and, and, and bring forth praise from the children? Who told you you could get on the back of a donkey and ride in here proclaiming yourself the Messiah? Who do you think you are? You ever ask God that? Who gave you permission to write this down in your Bible and make me feel so uptight about it? You know, I'm reading this here, God, and uh, it's making me uncomfortable. What what, 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 what are you doing that for? Uh, Why why is that there? You sure Jeremiah wrote that? I don't know if I want to read that. He confronts them on the authority of John the Baptist. They won't answer, so he doesn't answer. But he goes on to a parable. And I wanted to come to these parables today because he changes the terms. In these two parables, he doesn't say kingdom of heaven. He says kingdom of God. Because who just rode into town? God. Who just stood in the temple and healed the lame and the blind? God. Who was it that wasn't in the middle of the temple in that little box that was built for him? He'd escaped somehow. And here he was outside in the actual courtyards of the temple, healing and touching people's lives and stuff was happening and people praising it. It's just, he's messed up the whole church service. 
We have a plan for church. We have a liturgy. We have an order of things. There are things, the way things are supposed to be done around here. Do you know you can change the doctrine of a church more quickly than you can change the liturgy in a church? Pastor wants to get in trouble. Go in and rearrange the worship service. You can tell them they're supposed to go to church on the other day and you won't get in as much trouble as quickly. You tell them, yo, you're going to go to church tomorrow. They'll go, well, I, well, maybe we should think about that. You tell them, we're switching the prayer to the end. No, 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 no. We don't do that. You're, just, you're messing up our comfort. So what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first son. And he said, go today and work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. I have a kid like this. Never a good day. When he decides to put his foot down and say, I will not, there's going to be a long conversation that's not going to go well. Maybe not for both of us. The son said, I will not. But afterwards... He regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said, likewise. He said, and he answered and said, I go, sir. I thank God I did not have a son like this. That would have gone worse. But he did not go. I'll go, Dad. As soon as Dad left, he went to the pool hall. Which of, you two, which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. This is the head of the church. This is the priests and the elders and the leaders of the church. And he said, hey guys, guess what? The tax collectors, whom you despise, here's Matthew writing, who was a tax collector. And the harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. And For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward repent, relent, and believe. Did so you got evidence, and it still didn't change you. Oh, by the way, yesterday, um, we turned over the, the, the tables of the of the people who are selling doves and exchanging money, we, we flipped those over and the, and the lame and the blind came in and they were healed. And you got mad. What, what's up with you guys? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation that, bear, that bearing fruit of it. Whoever falls in the stone will be broken and whomever it falls on, it will grind into powder. I've skipped down. Now at this, the chief priests, I love this, it's been three days now, they saw him come in on the donkey, they saw him in the temple healing people, and now this. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, this, heard his parables, there were two of them, they perceived that he was speaking to who? To them. When they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because... They took him for a prophet. Apparently the crowd's still there. Now we've talked about a story. A couple days in the life of Jesus. Where he comes into Jerusalem in power and authority demonstrating that he is the king. At first... The crowds get it, and they're shouting, Hosanna, which means, please save us, please save. And they recognize that he's riding in on the donkey, as he was supposed to, according to Zechariah. They get the idea that he's a king arriving in his capital city, Jerusalem. He goes into the multitude, into the middle of the city. The people in the city say, who is this? Jesus doesn't answer. The multitude answers, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Didn't you guys know? What's wrong with you guys? Where you been? Been under a rock for the last three years? Next day he comes to the temple. He chases out the money changers, turns over the table. The doves are flying around, money's rolling around the floor. The lame, the halt, the blind come in. 
He heals them. The children begin to shout, Hosanna! And out come the leaders of the church. What are you doing? What, what, what do you think you're doing here? What's wrong with you? The next day, he arrives back at the temple, confronted by a contingent from the leadership, and they say, wait a second, where do you get the authority to do what you're doing? You've come in on a white horse. We know what that means, that riding in on the donkey like that, you've declared yourself king. You, you come in here and you start flipping over the temple. You're declaring you have authority in the temple. You're healing people in our house. What's wrong with you? Who gives you this authority? We didn't. The next day, he tells him two stories. And in both stories, he tells them that the people who were supposed to be in charge, the people who were claiming that they were doing the right thing, weren't. And he says, uh, by the way, the tax collectors and the harlots whom you despise, they got it. And as a result... They're going to be saved, and you're not. They finally, after three days, realize he's talking to them. And it sounds like a story from 2,000 years ago that pertains to those, those cranky, thick-headed, unreasonable uncaring, unaware leaders of the church who couldn't see their king standing right in front of them. But I just want to say that every one of us was designed by God, built at creation to be the servant of a king. We were designed by God to recognize our king and be in his service. And as Americans especially, we get a little offended by the idea of being in someone's service. We get a little offended about the idea of having a king. But I am telling you, we were designed to have a king. We were designed to have a king. A king is someone who has authority over your entire life. A king is someone who tells you what to do and you do it. Period. No questions. You were designed to be under the lordship, the leadership of a king. We were designed to follow a king. We are as dense as any one of those Pharisees most of the time on this subject. Because we think we lead ourselves. We think we're in charge of ourselves. We look up into the heavens and you say, we say, you're not the boss of me. We don't understand who we are in the universe. We are servants of a king. We love being called the children of the king because then we can be princes and princesses. But you know the children of the king are under the authority of the king as well. C.S. Lewis, in, a, in an article called Equality, in this article he declares, declares himself a proponent of democracy. He says democracy needs to be recognized not as a food, but as a medicine. <laughs> that the reason we need democracy is because there's nobody that we could, tra- that we could trust with lordship. Because everybody's broken. Democracy is not given to us because we have some 
overwhelming, enlightened stance in the world and deserve to be part of governing ourselves. Democracy is given to us because tyrants rise out of the brokenness of mankind. It's a medicine for our brokenness. As he winds down the article, he writes, When men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires and athletes and film stars. And I think it's a Brit, Mark, speaking to Americans. When men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires and athletes and film stars. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. We were designed by God to serve and recognize the lordship of Jesus in our life. And allow to admit that he's our king. He's our king. We should trust him. He is our king. We have to trust him. He is our king. We have to obey him. When he tells us something that we don't understand, you know what the response is? I don't understand, but okay. When he tells us you're in charge of EBS and you don't have enough volunteers, the answer is, okay, it's on you then. Because you're the one with the authority. I'm going to trust you here. When you're thinking about going off on the wrong path and you can feel it in the whole, in the depths of your heart, the Holy Spirit is saying, wrong way, dummy. If the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you that way, it's the way he speaks to me. The answer is okay. And when you come and bow in prayer, stop coming to the king of the universe with whiny little things you could do yourself. You are talking to the authority of heaven and earth, the king who created the planet. Come with big expectations. Come with big requests. Come with the big things that are on your heart. Come to him asking for big things. You will get some no's. See number two. You will get some yeses. And your faith, your trust in this king will blow up. He came riding in on a donkey. Why? So that we could see him as the king arriving on his throne at his capital to lead our lives. He threw over the money changers. And he cast out those who were selling doves so he could clean up the mess that we'd created of our life and help get us started in the right direction. He healed the brokenness and the lameness and the blindness in us so we could truly see, so we could truly leap, so we could truly engage. And he longs for us to hear, or us to say, please save me. I claim you as my Lord and my King. Let's pray.